Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. I am so excited to tell you that InvestSmart and Intelligent Investor are long-term sponsors of this podcast. And here's something I want to tell you about. The Intelligent Investor Select Value Fund is a unique mix of global leaders and homegrown small caps poised for long-term growth. The portfolio manager is Nathan Bell, a talented investor you may have heard on the Rust Network multiple times. The Select Value Fund is designed for investors seeking international diversification and Aussie companies with superior financial metrics. You can invest today at intelligentinvestor.com.au slash IISV dash offer. That's intelligentinvestor.com.au slash IISV dash offer. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Will, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks, Owen. Good to see you. Yeah, we we just hit uh, stop recording on another episode where we talked about Metcash. Um, If you haven't already listened to that, I would highly encourage you to go back and listen to that deep dive into the supermarkets, hardware, and liquor business, which is Metcash. In this one, we're going to talk about Flight Center. Uh, but before we get to that business, I do have a couple of questions that I wanted to uh, cover off with you and just tease out some insights. Obviously, you've been investing for a long time, um, like with contact asset management, BKI, and before that. But I'm curious, what's the best business model, maybe on the ASX, if we were just restricted to our local pond, that you've ever come across and what made it so special? Uh, we, we talk about this at the BKI board and investment committee a bit. We have like a 15 stock own forever All portfolio right. and um, that, we did, that we talk about. We really like Transurban and Ian Huntley, who's one of our board members, reminisces on a story about Warren Buffett when he was a kid, he used to sit by and watch the cars go past and think, geez, I'd love a penny for every car that goes past. And you kind of yeah. get that with Transurban. So uh, it's, a, it's, it's a monopoly basically, and, and your listeners in Brisbane, Melbourne, and Sydney are, are all customers mm. if they kind of want to be or not, yeah. almost. But um, it, So tr- for those less familiar, t- Transurban's the, the toll road operator, mm. has 22 roads in operation. So the, the more common ones in Brisbane are the, the airport link, uh, the Clem Jones Tunnel. In Melbourne, you've got the, the city link. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got a gateway tunnel yeah. being built, I believe. Yep. Uh, and then in Sydney, obviously, we've got... M2, M5, M7, mm-hmm. East Link, Lake Cove Tunnel, and you know, M12 to come. So there's a, it's a big network. It's got a couple of roads in North America as well. So uh, the beauty of the business in many ways is uh, just the, the network effect from it, but also this sense of the CPI inflation, mm. toll, toll inflators that go on with it as well. So... Um, it's grown over the last. It, it, it's 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 a. Fifteen years ago, it wasn't the best business we'd ever seen, and in fact, in like two thousand to two thousand and ten, uh, there were quite a few different toll roads that came to market, 
and the traffic forecasts were just works of fiction and they'd list and they'd never mm. meet investor expectations and many of them went broke because they're very highly geared vehicles, these tow road operators, because they're just a long concession life. So uh, Transurban managed to buy many of them well. The Lane Cove Tunnel is a good example, as is the Brisbane Airport link, and put that into the network. But then with the long concession comes the this inflation I'm talking about. So the east... Um, the, the airport tunnel from Sydney out to the airport is it's nine dollars and ten cents I think mm. now one way. A few years ago that was five bucks, um, and mm. then you have this truck toll multiplier. It's like oh, if a truck goes through it, they pay three times as much. So it's just this incredible just cash generated business. That, you know, once you built it, the capex isn't crazy. It's well run. The cost of debt is very long term, so they're only paying four percent debt. And then with inflation last couple of years, as we've seen, you're often getting, you know, we're getting 8% increases mm. per annum. So you just don't normally see that kind of pricing power in many businesses, which is you know, one reason why we like it so much. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting business. And it's almost one of those businesses, like you said, monopoly in Australia, where people probably don't really know how powerful it is, both in terms of winning new contracts and projects, but then also in just holding on to them and consistently upgrading roads and mm. you know, the, the baked in price increases and it survived COVID. You know, that's a, in terms of what could go wrong, um, COVID was a big one. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's sailed. Yeah. And we're, and, we're, and we're back above that now. And you know, some people are still concerned about traveling on public transport. There's 2 million trips a day mm. on the transurban roads. Mm. See, it's, a, it's a big number. That's a big number, yeah. Okay, so I've got uh, one more question before we get to Flight Center. Over your career, what have been, maybe not, I, I've said two of your best investments in my notes here, but doesn't have, maybe just even two of your better investments, and it doesn't have to be financially performance-wise, just in terms of what you got right, I guess, or maybe even what you avoided as a good move. Uh, ARB has been one of our best ones, mm. and that's the four-wheel drive accessories business and I think the reason why it's been so good and, and, and this is the, the angle we try to take in our X50 fund is we really love backing founder-led or family-led businesses and we just think they think longer term, they'll invest in the business mm. and they're thinking not about next year's EPS number, they're thinking about you know, creating dividends for shareholders and, and a long-term track record. So, you know, we're buying that at $2 coming out of the GFC, it hit 50 bucks in 2021. Mm. And then you've got this incredible dividend flow to come as well. So that's just a good, you know, it's a manufacturing business, but the returns are good and it's just been a great long-term performer. Mm. Do you have any others? When I was thinking about this, I was just trying to think about, well, what personally, what's what's been a good investment? And it's you know probably a bit corny or it's a bit cliche, but you know, I, I try to think that kind of investing and creating our own business with contact is hopefully going to be one that's going to do well there. And... You know, by that I mean that you know this game is a. It can be quite. It can be wonderful if you if you if you invest well and do well by your shareholders. And we're just trying to create a business where we're competing on thinking about the long term and sensible investments, but also on on fees. Mm. You know, we charge. I think BKI is the, the the first percentile in terms of lowest fees. I think against this peer group, the X50 is the fourth. You now we charge sixty bips there. The average fund he charges one point four percent. 
Now, we just think that over long term, that's fair. We can still have a good business. We can invest in our wealth in these products as well. And so that's my hopefully number two. Yeah, yeah I like that. That's actually really, I, I, I really appreciate that because uh, I don't think you know this, but I actually host uh, another podcast series called the Australian Business Podcast where I talk to uh, business owners. And um, absolutely, like it's the, the, one of the things that people who don't run their own business underestimate is, yes, you get a lot of stress with your own business, but you are in control. And that's a very different experience to investing in public equities. It's a different skill set, but at the old Buffett cliche of, better businessman because I'm an investor, better investor because I'm a businessman, it definitely applies. Yeah, yeah, we have so too. Yeah. Okay, mate. So we wanted to take a bit of a deep dive into Flight Center. Um, many people know the business. They see the, the red and white logos all over the place. Uh, maybe even come across the, the company on the ASX and the ticker symbols FLT. Uh, but there's a lot more to it than that. So can you give us the bird's eye view of what Flight Center does? Yeah, it's a, it's a business that's had a really tough COVID. Uh, you know, we spoke about Metcash the last time we chatted and mm. had a wonderful COVID. And many, it's been, it was funny when you reflect on the lockdown and the businesses, the one and the ones are lost. And, and you know, Flight Centre found it really hard. But it's a really, it's a great Australian success story. Another founder-led business. Mm. And Graeme, Graeme Screw-Turner is still, still running it. Still, we went and visited the office a couple of weeks ago and he was there. Uh, and had a great chat to him. But it started in uh, 1982 as, as Flight Centre, as, as a travel agency. It actually started before that as the, you know, the which people still see as the, the top deck travel. Mm. So yeah, Graham, Graham and yeah. his mates were, would you know, drive tour buses around Europe, hmm. and that was the, the inception of the, of the business. And then uh, came back to Australia, they started to grow it. In 1995, it listed, I think the same year, it made $10 million in, in profits, and it's, it's mm. gone from strength to strength mm. since then, you know, not, notwithstanding some challenging periods. Mm. The, um, the business, and actually there's the funny thing which you just talked about off air is why he is called Graham Screw Turner. That's his nickname, but everyone calls him Screw. And there's a brand of, you said in your notes that there was a brand of screwdriver. Yeah, I had to look it up, but I never really understood why people called him Screw. Um, and, and, and as I said, you had a management presentations and broker lunches and everyone Everyone calls him screw. <laughs> but, but just a good down-to-earth, you know, mm. good operator. Just yeah. completely passionate about his business, which is, as I keep saying about these founderly things, is that's not uncommon. Mm. How about that in terms of the business overall? Because a lot of people might be familiar with some of the brands. Like I've got the, the page up in front of me, but you've obviously got the Flight Center core brand, which you see in most strip malls or in shopping centers. People will also be familiar. I think they own student flights. Um, or something similar to that, and many of the other brands around it. Um, can you talk to about like when you pop the hood, what's actually inside this thing? Yeah, so I think what's underappreciated is the global reach that the business has now, mm. and not just in leisure travel, but in in corporate travel. So they've got company-owned operations in twenty-three countries, mm-hmm. uh, and then they've got a, the corporate travel management spans. You know, with interest in other 90 countries as well. So when you look at actually the, the split of earnings, half the earnings comes from Australia and New Zealand, but then the other half is, is offshore. And North America is a big part of that and growing, particularly in the corporate travel world. Uh, but it's a, it's, it's a business where I think you're right that a lot of investors would just assume that it's just the, the travel agent you walk past in many mm. suburban malls with the pilot out the front 
And <laughs> but really, it's um, the growth going forward will probably be more driven by corporate, where they'll take on the likes of Amex Travel uh, and, and grow from there. When you say the likes of Amex Travel, it was in like they when you have an Amex card and you choose to book through them. Is that what you mean? Yeah, but Amex Travel also has a massive corporate offering as well, where huge corporates will only book travel through Amex. So there's what 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 Flight Center is going after with this. It's got a, uh, an arm um, FCM. They're trying to go into big international multinational corporations mm-hmm. and be the the travel agent. Okay. Right. So then that, that feeds into their, their ability to to buy more scale, you know, which kind of then helps the leisure business as well. Yeah. Uh, two two quite different businesses and different drivers, mm. but it's uh, you know quite a has been reasonably fragmented that 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 whole industry, uh, but there's good consolidation and growth opportunities for them. Why did you get involved in the business, like as an investor? Um, because people would be saying, well, didn't they just nearly get wiped out in COVID. Like what did you see in the core business unit that you thought, wow, that's interesting now? Or was there a moment? Like you remember like seeing the financials or we, we only have reinvested into it this this year. Okay. Twenty twenty three. Twenty twenty three. We owned it at BKI in probably twenty sixteen to twenty eighteen. Mm-hmm. And again it just had it was just back then it had just good earnings growth. Um, solid dividend it was offering. And just had you know, reasonable momentum. We sold out of it in 2018, partly on on we just thought the valuation ran ahead of itself. And at that time, there was some uh, just offshore growth opportunities, but we just couldn't. Even if they were successful, we just couldn't get the valuation to stack up. So I think we, when we spoke about Metcash and our approach to valuation, you know, we do try to run a few different scenario analysis, and we just couldn't get the the bull case to play out. Mm. So we sold out, and you know the. COVID was an unexpected hit to the company. But just to put into perspective how bad COVID was, I had a look at what the forecast consensus earnings were for, for Flight Center. So in, in 2019, the market expected Flight Center, six months later, to make $245 million profit. Mm-hmm. They lost $750 million in FY20. Wow. Okay. So, so the world just stopped. Like a, a billion dollar turnaround. Billion dollar turnaround. So, you know, <laughs> investing is hard. But it's, <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's how how much we got hit. Like, the, as we know, the the planes just stopped flying. People stopped traveling. Mm. The world stopped. So, you know, for them to be able to then come back the way they have is, is quite a quite a testament to the to the resilience of you know, not only Graham Turner, but the, the overall business. But, you know, they've had to do a couple of pretty significant capital raisings to save the business. Uh, but now, as as the world returns to normal, if you will, the, we think the future is looking pretty solid. Mm. And is that is your? Would it be fair to say that your thesis is mainly built around that corporate travel business or the whole stack? I think when we re looked at it earlier this year and late last year, um, we we hadn't appreciated how much the corporate business was was an opportunity for them. Mm. Uh, so yeah, that's that's part of it. But the leisure business is going well also. So we, uh, we, we bought in as they acquired Scott Dunn, which is a like a, a high end leisure business. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to play into that space, which is a rapidly growing part of the market globally. Uh, so they did raise some money to do that. Uh, but we we just think that the the overall recovery out of COVID and the increase in you know, they, they talk about what they call TTV total transaction volume, which is their 
mm. amount of travel and their, their revenue effectively. Uh, they had a big update. Last week at the Macquarie Conference, they updated you know, the level of activity. In, in a lot of segments, There's they're back, back above pre-COVID levels. Mm. Um, so when you went and... You, you obviously mentioned like founder-led, not just here, but when we've spoken in the past as well. Um, when you went up to Brisbane and you saw uh, Screw and you came and spoke to you guys for a little bit as well, were there any key takeaways that you had about him or the management team? He just seems to uh, – well, we, we spoke to – well, me with the investor relations mm-hmm. guy in their office in, in Queensland. They've got a kind of coffee shop cafe on the, on the top level and as we went up, we went past – where, where Screw was working, and he's he's just in the open plan, like everyone else. And you know, he, he was that day he was playing touch footy with the with the team. So he's, you know, he's very much part of the part of the culture. And he just came and gave us a quick update on a couple of questions we had. Um, and we, and it was it was just a week after the the half year the results, so that was that was topical. Uh, but he just comes across as a a guy that's just all in. On, on his business, but very, very sensible. And I think he was quite a big mouthpiece during COVID on the importance of not locking down, you know, looking after the industry. Mm. And, but he's, he just comes across to me as a very down to earth, sensible guy who, you know, really cares deeply about his business and his shareholders. And he's, that, that alignment piece really shines through. Mm. How about um, like the business? Uh, obviously, people know that the bricks and mortar flight center, but then they also know things like Skyscanner, Booking.com, Webjet, Insert, other company, you know, that does online bookings and these types of things. Well, how do you see that competitive dynamic or does it actually play into flight center's favor? Oh, there's always going to be part of the market they won't capture. Like some people will still go online and just book their own flight from Sydney to Melbourne or yep. you know, even more complex than that. I think what one advantage they talk about that has come out of, of COVID is just the complexity of travel has increased a lot. And in that situation, people want a travel agent. Yep. Yeah, I agree. So that, that will help. Uh, but the other interesting part of the market has been that only 15% of travel agents have left the industry in Australia and aren't a lot of them are unlikely to come back. Others have pivoted towards actually becoming customers of of Flight Center on, from an online perspective, and it's almost like a white label offering that that right. they have, and uh, that's becoming you know unexpected growth driver also. Okay, that's quite interesting. A white label product. Well, I guess they've got the engine for booking for other agents and networks as well. And the and the you know, they talk about supply. So in terms of the you know, their buying power. Yeah, as well, and get better only. deals. Correct, and they already do it for corporate travelers anyway. Mm. So that makes a lot of sense. Become the infrastructure. Okay, so I've got a couple more questions, but one of them is just basically around how you think about the valuation of a business like this. We've talked about um, Metcash with its you know different revenue streams and how it almost has like you can value it. Metcash, you could value all the different parts of the business and put it together and then value it as a whole as well. But with Flight Center. Now, you've got the distinct segments of the business, but it's kind of one big business. So how do you think about it? Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not an easy business to, to model with conviction. Yeah, because it's got cyclicality as well. You've got cyclicality, you've got different regions. As we said, you've got leisure, you've got corporate. You know, they disclose that by that and they also disclose by 
by region. So I think in, if you're buying into the flight centre story, you need to believe that we will return to the same level of travel, if not slightly more, mm-hmm. than we were pre-COVID. Uh, and and the, certainly the, the early signs are that we will. And then you have to make a view on, well, what's the kind of revenue margin that they're going to make also? So you know, right now, if you look at a bear case on the stock, uh, some will argue that airfare prices have peaked mm. and that the margin may be not as good as it has been in the past either. So because they take, they basically had to clip of the ticket. Mm. It's how they, it's how they make money. We'd argue that um, airfares were excessive, which actually prevented a lot of travel. Like a lot of people probably have always thought twice about the business trip domestically, and for sure, you know, everyone's got Zoom fatigue, and people are travelling again now. So you know, I, I find it hard to kind of reconcile why you know, lower airfares won't actually help um, flights. You know, you know, that was one of the things they spoke about last week at the Macquarie conference, in that you can now fly return to London again for under $1,500, which was, you know, many multiples of that only mm. a year or two ago. So, um, yeah, so as, so as I was saying, it's, it is difficult to – you've got to have some reasonably ambitious forecasts. Not, not necessarily ambitious, but you've just got to believe in growth going forward and this total transaction volume has to continue to kind of tick away and continue to grow. And we just think that, you know, the, the, pre, the pre-COVID growth story was – was reasonable. You know, they're almost, as I said, they're, they're in certain parts of the business, they're back to that now. In others, they're back to kind of 75% of those rates. Uh, but we just believe that if you kind of take a bit more of a high-level view and just have a solid, you know, increase in the top line, maintain margins, continue to generate cash, you know, we, we think it's it looks reasonably attractive. Mm. And, and, and the stock's kind of reflected that over the past few months. How much... Do you know, I'm just catching you off guard here, but do you know roughly what uh, the turnover rate of the contact X50 portfolio would be? Well, like what's a typical holding period? Like what, how, I'm trying to get to how long would you typically hold a business like this, say, versus a more established business like, say, Macash? Like we're not established, but more diversified business. Yeah, we still think this is quite just. So our, our turnover is 20 25%. Which is low. Yeah, very so, low. Yeah, yeah, active on, management is very yeah, low. Yeah, so on, on average, we're holding things for four to five years. Yeah. It's even longer at BKI when it's a bigger a bigger portfolio. But um, to answer that question, it's kind of there is a bit of a well. It depends. Yeah, of course. So you know, if the investment case changes, we'll sell the stock. Yeah. Now, if Screw Turner sold half his stock. We, you know, if, if we couldn't think of a good reason not to, we'd often follow. We'd follow him. Yeah. Um, which is why we you know come back to this alignment piece a lot. But and again, if, and as as we did many years ago, if the valuation just gets excessive and we can't get get it to, um, you know, extremely excessive is probably what we're looking for. Mm. We'll, we'll sell as well. We'd rarely sell if the only thing that didn't look good was the valuation. Like if the competitive yeah. position was improving, if the dividend outlook was great, if the balance sheet was rock solid, you know, if the management team were you know were still you know performing really well and in a trustworthy manner, and it just looked a little bit expensive. Um, we'd probably hold and expect okay. that the, you know, that that good qualitative factors would play out as well. Okay. Um, okay. Finally, may I just ask for some risks that people should be aware of as they think about popping flights that are on their watch list? Um, what are the things that are on your mind? 
so you know, I talked about that the potential bear case with this high fees. I don't really buy into that one. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it's still a turnaround story in many ways. Like this is a this company had a near death experience, and you know some some great investors argue turnarounds really turn. I think it's probably this is a little bit different in that it was an established business that just had a completely black swan event mm. that affected the affected the business and they you know they raised money when they had to and they've you know they're starting to come out the other side so it, it is a bit of a turnaround story one, one challenge with that is as they grow they've got to rehire a lot of people mm. and so that just you know how they manage those expenses you know could disappoint in the near term uh but you know we, we think it's a, a much more solid business than it was 12 18 months ago uh which is probably why we held back you know we could have bought it I think we bought it seventeen, eighteen dollars. We the, the low was ten, hmm. uh, but there's a high level of uncertainty at ten. It's now trading, I think, twenty one, twenty two dollars. You know, our valuation is probably twenty five if if we're if we're pretty optimistic. So it's not far off that. You know, but on the in the medium term view, that's puts on a PE of probably twenty. Hmm. So that's probably fairly priced. Um, you know, this is necessarily a bang the table idea for us, but we just think it's a, a solid business that will soon return to dividends. Uh, we think we'll we'll do well out of it, and again, we really just love backing founders, and we think you know Screw Turner's you know one one of the best. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, I've got um, one final question for you, which I'll get to in just a moment. This is more just a philosophical one. It's really hard that I ask everyone, and I know that I haven't asked you this question yet. But uh, if people want to get in contact with you, they can head to contact asset management. Um, which is contactam.com.au. Um, you can subscribe to the newsletter too, uh, depending on what you're invested in as well. So go and check that out. There'll be a link in the show notes. Uh, and you're also, I do, I did have an, uh, an office scoop that you also are hiring. So uh, <laughs> any aspiring analysts, <laughs> yeah, get in contact. But um, my question is, what's one thing about finance, investing, business, even just life in general, that few others would agree with you on? With investing side of things, and, and I think people are on the same page as me on this, on some people, but I think broadly, I just think that investors fail to appreciate how important dividends are in the overall total return. And I get frustrated sometimes when I, you know, you watch the news and they talk about the oil orders index mm. and they say it hasn't really moved in, in 10 years. And indeed, if you go back to the peak just before the GFC, the the ASX 300 was at 6,700 points and it's now at 7,200 points, you know, 15 plus years later. Mm. Yet, if you look at the accumulation index where the dividends are invested, at that time, the ASX 300 accumulation index was 40,000 points and it's now 90,000 points. Hmm. So there's a huge amount of return has come from dividends and reinvesting dividends. and. Uh, I just think that's often overlooked. Yeah. And I just think that, you know, we, we say in our office, dividends don't lie. Uh, and, you know, part of that, you know, reinvesting is, can be quite powerful. And I think it makes up, you know, more than half, half the kind of total market return. Mm. Dividends don't lie. Yeah. I like that. Haven't heard that one before. Well, well, this is always a bit of fun. So thank you for taking some time. To sit down with me today, we've been through two episodes, you and I today together, um, and you've done a lot of notes. So there'll be links to everything in the show notes. Uh, you can find out more about contact and will there, but appreciate your time, mate. No, I appreciate the opportunity.
Thanks for listening to this podcast. Before you go, I wanted to share some things with you. Specifically, I wanted to tell you about the 10 ways that Rask could help you in 2024. As many of you know, Rask has grown to become one of the biggest investing and finance platforms in Australia. Across our podcasts, our websites, our memberships, and so on, we now engage around 200,000 Aussies, which considering we started in a humble lounge room on a Kmart desk, one of those old fake white wooden ones, I'm pretty ecstatic about where we are six years later. As part of becoming one of Australia's biggest platforms for wealth creation and preservation, we now have a very special position in the country in that we can bring you some of the best, most thoughtful, expert-driven ways to protect and grow your wealth. And I'm going to share some of those with you now. I've got 10 ways that we can potentially help you or match you with someone who can. The first thing that I want to tell you about is the biggest step we've ever taken at Rask, which is the launch of our Rask Invest platform. This is a platform that lets our team, led by me, invest for you, primarily through low-cost, diversified ETFs. We'll have three strategies at launch, and every investor who comes through can pick one of the three strategies being a balanced strategy, a growth strategy, and a high-growth strategy. The balanced strategy focuses on passive income and the high growth strategy focuses on longer term compounding. You will find a link in your podcast player to register your interest. We will be taking off soon. Number two, if you prefer to DIY your investing, you can join me and over 4,000 members inside Rascore. That's our full ETF and ASX share research membership community. You can join now and you'll get updated ETF portfolio recommendations every quarter, as well as ongoing ASX and global stock research. Every single month, we call them the all-star stocks. You get that alongside the ETF portfolios, as well as other members-only content. It's called Rascore. Number three, our first ever partnership with a business other than our own was a business by the name of Blusk, which has since become Flint Group. Flint Group is led by Chris Bates and Christian Stevens, two of Australia's most highly regarded mortgage brokers. Already over 200 RAS community members have begun the RASC plus Flint Group mortgage broking process. You can click the link in your podcast player if you're refinancing, investing, a first home buyer, or whatever. You've probably heard Chris on the show many times. Number four, you can connect with our most trusted financial advisors. Whether you're 25 years old, just graduated uni and looking to set yourself up or approaching or in retirement and you've got that nest egg you want to protect and generate a passive income from, you can get in contact with our trusted panel of financial advisors. You can find the link in your podcast player. It's there each and every week. Just click the thing that says financial planning. Number five, if you want specialist insurance advice, as Warren Buffett said, rule number one is don't lose money. And rule number two is don't forget rule number one. Insurance is vitally important, especially when it comes to your number one asset, you. Whether you're a single income household or a couple and you just want to protect what would happen if. You want to protect your family if something goes wrong. You want to protect your spouse if you lose your job. You want to protect yourself if you hurt yourself on the weekend at footy. Insurance is a way to do that. And I think the best way to do insurance is through a financial planner. 
And there's a few reasons for that. But one of them is sometimes some insurers will only work with financial advisors, but they can also be your companion as you go through the sometimes daunting process of getting insurance done properly. Sometimes you might not even know, but you're not even covered, even though you think you are. So get the right advice. You'll find a link in the show notes to check that out. Number six, buying property. If you're like me and you're thinking of buying property in the next 12 months, or maybe you've already invested and you're looking to downsize, getting the right advice and being able to build wealth through property is a proven strategy. It might be one of the most contentious, but I think that we have one of Australia's best property coaches in our ranks. That is Pete Wargent. Pete is the host of the now super popular Australian property podcast by Rask, and he's also my analyst team's macro consultant. So if you're a member of Rascor, you will have seen Pete's name around the traps. He's a property coach and buyer's agent, and he works with a select number of people each and every year. Just a note on this. This is not a commercial thing with Pete. Pete just has great services, so we offer them to the community. And when he fills up, he fills up. You can find out more about Pete's coaching in the show notes. Next up, tracking your portfolio for tax. I think you are because I think you have to. So we've partnered with Nevexa to help you manage your share and ETF reporting, whether it's tax or performance. All Rask users get 20% off an annual plan with Nevexa. You can sync your portfolio with Nevexa's software and it automatically tracks your dividends, your capital gains tax, and more. Again, not a commercial partnership. We don't make anything from working with Nevexa, but they do create some great tools which the Rask community uses each and every day. Number eight, want to run your own business? Maybe you already do. If you want more profit, but less stress, less time consumed, and less energy lost, get in contact. We have a partner business called Inflection. The Inflection Accelerator Program is a complete online course that helps you and a community of members engage and follow a proven strategy for growing your business. I'm grateful to be one of the coaches inside the Accelerator program, helping business owners right across Australia. You can find more following the link in your podcast player. It's the one that says coaching. Number nine, if you haven't already checked it out, join over 20,000 other people who tune into the Rask YouTube channel. It is completely free and you get notified when we go live and when we publish podcast episodes. There is a podcast on the Rask network each and every day, as well as bite-sized material that's less than 60 seconds or those really punchy tutorials and webinars that are just 15 minutes that take you through a really exciting topic, whether it's how to buy a property, whether it's how to pick a dividend ETF. Some of our most popular content actually just explains things like, what the heck is franking credits and how do I calculate if I've got some? That's on our YouTube channel. Number 10, if you want to be a better investor, a saver, a better partner with money, or just understand your own relationship with money, you can do that all of that by going to the Rask Education website and taking a free course. We've enrolled over 26,000 students at the time of this recording, and we are on a mission to get to 100,000 in the next few years. Rask Education is our mostly free education platform covering everything from budgeting and automation to the probably, I would say, the best value investing program in the country. So whether you're a value investor an intermediate investor, you want to know how to value Woolworth shares, or you simply just want to understand what ethical investing is or buy your first property and what actually happens on settlement day, head to the Rask Education website and enroll in something today. It is free and it supports us. 
because then I can come on here next month and I can say we've got 27,000. And hopefully we reach critical mass where we can help more Australians manage their money better. Thank you for listening to this long-winded ad. If you want to get in contact with me, you know where to go. There's a link in your show notes. Basically, these 10 services, even though some of them we don't make any money from, support RASC and allow us to produce these podcasts, attract the biggest and best guests from Australia and around the world, and bring them to you to answer your questions. Thank you for being part of the RASC network, and thank you for your ongoing support. Bye for now.